theme for today's sermon is joy. Joy is something that's very important to me. I love to laugh and make other people laugh. I love to have fun and just to be happy. <laughs> and I really like this line from Psalm 126 where it says, We were like those who dreamed. Eugene Peterson, he is a translation of this line and it goes like this. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true. Think about those moments in your past when you've stopped and you've just had to pinch yourself and say, am I dreaming right now? Is this real life? Is this the life I get to live? Some days I'll be out on the beach here at Vancouver Island and the sun will just be shining brightly down on the gently lapping blue waves of the ocean and I just have to pinch myself. Is this too good to be true? Am I really here right now? Other days I'll be in the park with my two daughters and my amazing wife and we'll just be playing and laughing and having fun together and I just stop and realize, is this really my life? Am I dreaming right now? Growing up, I remember hearing sermons about joy and happiness and they would often say something like this, happiness is a temporary feeling. It doesn't last, but joy is deeper. It can be experienced in the good times and in the bad. So pursue joy and don't chase after happiness. But now that I'm older, I don't quite agree with that line of thinking because I, I don't think that you can really separate the two so easily. When I'm joyful, I feel happy, even if I'm joyful in bad circumstances. As a human, as humans, we're complex creatures. It's possible for us to feel different feelings at the same time. If you go to a funeral, you're gonna feel deep sadness and loss for the loss of a loved one. But you're also going to feel joy and happiness even as you think about the life that you lived with that person and as you reflect on their memories. Author Mar Margaret Feinberg, she understands joy in this way. I define joy as a spectrum of emotions, actions, and responses that includes gladness, cheer, happiness, merriment, delighting, dancing, shouting, exalting, rejoicing, laughing, playing, brightening, blessing, and being blessed, taking pleasure in and being well pleased. The Bible insists that joy is more than a feeling. It's an action. We don't just sense joy, we embody it by how we respond to the circumstances before us. I think that she's making a really good point here. When she says that joy is more than a feeling, she's saying it is a feeling, but it's more than that. It's also an action. It's embodying joy as a response to the circumstances around us. And we see that in our passage today. When the Lord changed Israel's circumstances, they were overjoyed. This is better. This was better than what they were expecting. And they felt it deep in their bodies, and their bodies responded with joy, laughter, and shouts of praise. Now there's some scholarly debate as to what changed circumstances the psalmist is singing about here. Another way that you can translate this passage is, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. And this could be referring to when God brought back the Israelites to Jerusalem after exile in Babylon for 70 years. So you can understand how excited they would be to be back in their home country, back in the place they belonged as God's people. But this psalm could also refer to when King David was in exile from Absalom, and now he's returned. Or it could be pointing to the Exodus, when the people of God were set free from slavery and brought back to the promised land. In any case, as the pilgrims would sing this song on their journey back to Jerusalem, 
For them, it was a song of joy, celebrating their return to Zion after their long time of spiritual exile. And remember that for the Jewish people to be outside of Jerusalem, away from the temple, was to be away from the presence of God. So being back in Jerusalem was a time of celebration and great joy as they saw themselves as captives now returning to the city of God. An important part of Jewish culture is remembering. Remembering where you have been, remembering who God has made you to be, but especially remembering who God is and what God has done for you. The Israelites have so many stories of God acting in powerful and mighty ways throughout their history. And these stories are celebrated oftentimes in the Psalms. Throughout the Psalms, we read verses like these ones I'm going to read now. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Or, we have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. Another place we read, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. These Jewish acts of remembering were vital to the life of their community because it grounded them in the truth of God, it set them on the right path forward, and ultimately it created among them a culture of joy. By choosing to remember how God had been good to them, they were choosing joy. Now remember what Feinberg said about joy. It's more than a feeling, it's also an action. It's how we respond to our circumstances. In essence, she uh, she is saying that we need to choose joy. When we're not feeling joyful, when we're not feeling happiness, the solution is not always to change our circumstances, it's actually to change our response to our circumstances. And Margaret talks about this in her book, Fight Back With Joy. She went through a similar situation that I did growing up where she was taught not to trust the feelings of happiness because they're actually a trap. You'll feel happy only to realize that what made you feel happy was leading you astray. The real prize is to pursue joy. But she often felt like joy was elusive. So after years of this experience, she poured through the scriptures and she studied joy and happiness. And she discovered that the Bible does talk a lot about how our pursuit of happiness can lead us astray. But she also discovered that God's people in the Bible were not happy because of what they had pursued. They were happy and joyful because of what God had given to them and what God had done for them. Studies today say that the things that actually bring happiness are long-term loving relationships, strong social connections, the opportunity to pursue meaningful work, a sense of optimism and openness to new experiences, as well as a spiritual belief or identification with an issue or an idea that's larger than oneself. And Feinberg points out that what raises our level of happiness are the very things that God calls us to as followers of Christ. As we fulfill the great command to love God and love others, Our long-term relationships and our connections to others will naturally grow stronger and deeper. When we keep our eyes on God in our workplace, we naturally find more meaning and satisfaction in our labor. And as we walk in greater levels of faith, hope, and love, we can't help but grow in optimism and a willingness to try new things. 
And those who give themselves fully to God will be filled with an inexpressible joy. And this is why Feinberg's definition of joy is so expansive. It's because it isn't something we necessarily chase after, but it's all around us. If we were just to stop and open our eyes, we'd see how everything we experience in a day can be an opportunity for joy and happiness. And so what we discover is we choose joy when we choose to remember what God has done in our lives and recognize the amazing blessings that he has poured out on us and given to us. We choose joy along with the Israelites when we open our eyes to even the smallest things that God has given us, like fresh water, like air to breathe, like the people in our church community. So I want to ask, just pause for a moment and ask you this question. What are you thankful for? What brings you joy? As I prepared this message, the thought that kept coming back to me over and over again was, deep joy is found in reality. That thought just kept coming to my mind. It's found in reality because it's based on real, tangible, physical expressions and experiences that God has done for us and that God has given to us. The Israelites were overjoyed because God had physically saved them from exile and slavery. And God physically provided food and water for them. Deep joy is found in reality. They awoke from a dream to realize that God is real. But reality is not all cheers and flowers and celebrations. You know, just five minutes of reading the news today is just going to suck away all of your joy. War in Ukraine, worldwide pandemic still in effect. You're reading stories of abuse of power and mistreatment of minorities and the powerless. All of this drives us to sing along with the Jewish pilgrims in Psalm 126. Lord, change our circumstances for the better, like streams in the desert waste. Let those who plant with trees reap the harvest with joyful shouts. Let those who go out crying and carrying their seed come home with joyful shouts, carrying bales of grain. As we read the news, there are often two traps that we can fall into. The first is just to fixate on all the problems and all the negatives. We get this tunnel vision and we're just not able to see anything else but the terrible thing that's happening right in front of us. And I know that's how I was for the first few months of this pandemic. Maybe you were like this as well. I was constantly checking the numbers around the world. I was reading all the news articles. I was just overwhelming myself with the negativity of COVID-19. But then the second trap that we can fall into is to just ignore all the problems. We can think that the way to happiness is to run away from trouble. And that's why the entertainment industry is so profitable. It's why drugs and pornography are everywhere. It's why money is so desirable. In order to feel happy, we feel like we have to distract ourselves, to look anywhere other than the thing that is hurting us. And we suffer for this, from this in the church too. We can often fall into the trap of thinking as Christians, we just need to smile more and, and dress nicely and, and have our lives be all perfect and rosy and go to church every Sunday and be happy. But this psalm teaches us, and the Bible as a whole teaches us, 
that deep joy is found in reality, in all of reality. So for the first trap, our tendency to fix on the bad, this psalm starts to open up our vision to also see the good. And that's what we did when I asked you, what brings you joy? I'm not saying that we should fixate on the good, but we need to stop and we need to open our eyes to see that even amongst all the bad that is going on, there is good all around us. There is much that we can be thankful for and that we're in the things that can bring us joy. And this is why Paul writes to the Thessalonians, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's desire for us is deep joy, and deep joy is found in reality. For the second trap, for the temptation to just ignore the bad, this psalm opens our vision to acknowledge that not all is right. It calls us to face our dark reality head on. As Christians, we shouldn't wear fake smiles and pretend that life is all rosy. We shouldn't turn a blind eye to what's wrong in our lives or in this world. But we also don't fixate on them. Instead, we acknowledge them and then we choose joy no matter the circumstance. The pilgrims sang this this psalm with the expectation that God would use their tears and he would use their suffering for his good purposes. And the pilgrims experienced joy in the desert and in their sadness by embracing their reality and trusting that God can either use any harsh circumstance for good or that he is the one who has the power to change our circumstances. And in either case, Eugene Peterson writes, This joy is not dependent on our good luck in escaping hardship. It is not dependent on our good health and avoidance of pain. Christian joy is actual in the midst of pain, suffering, loneliness, and misfortune. Margaret Feinberg, she spent an entire year studying joy and happiness, and with only two weeks remaining until she could turn in her manuscript, she felt a lump on her chest, and she soon discovered that she had breast cancer. All that she had written about joy and happiness was now flipped on its head. She had been pursuing and activating joy in her life in the relatively good times, and now she had to do it in the midst of darkness, depression, and torturous pain. And she writes this, Sooner or later we all find ourselves on a battlefield of life. Sometimes you pick the fight, sometimes the fight picks you. Mine was a diagnosis. Maybe yours is divorce, foreclosure, unemployment, or the death of someone you adored. In these moments, you must choose how we respond. Anger, bitterness, cynicism, slipping into a funk no one can rescue us from. What if we choose to fight back with joy? And her experience of battling breast cancer led Margaret to reframe her book with the title, Fight Back With Joy. Because for her, Joy became her weapon against the darkness. The joy of the Lord actually became her strength. And the joy of the Lord was certainly the weapon that Jesus used to defeat evil and suffering on the cross. In Hebrews 12, we read, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't fixate on the evil. He didn't fixate on the cross. But he also didn't ignore the pain of this world. He didn't run away from the cross. Instead, he faced evil head on and he looked past it to the joy. He saw joy as the result of his work and that fueled him to endure the cross. Jesus fought back with the weapon of joy. Whatever our circumstances, joy can be found. It's all around us. It's there when we look back and remember how good is, how good God is and what God has done for us. And it's there in the present when we stop and physically focus on this good life that God has given us. And joy is something that we look forward to in the future on that day when we're brought back from exile and God's dwelling place will be fully among his people. That day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We look forward with joy to that day when all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Deep joy is found all around us. So let us open our eyes to joy in our everyday simple lives so that we can experience joy in all the circumstances, in the good and in the bad. And let us face our pain openly and honestly with hope that God can and will transform our tears of sadness to tears of joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.